0: Well, before I jump into my message, um, I want to present something to you that I think is really important for us as a church, and that is one of the things that is important about the community and about the body of Christ is that we care for one another, amen, Amen. and we care for those that are hurting. And right now, the people of Malden and Pine City are in desperate need. Um, I've been thinking all this week, I, I can't imagine what it would be like to lose my house, and everything in it and I was talking to someone that was in in the Malden fire uh last week and they were only given one hour one hour of warning that's how fast that was it remember that was the day that the wind was blowing like craziness and so when the fire hit and came down pine that pine creek it it just destroyed everything so fast and um, it made me think about what what would I grab if I had an hour have you ever thought about that What would you grab if you had an hour, right? I'm grabbing Kate, and I'm grabbing the kids if the kids are in the house, right? I'm grabbing my Bible, and I'm grabbing a couple other things, probably some memorabilia. But um, an hour, and then you watch your house go up in flames. Well, right now, that's what our neighbors are going through. In particular, two families in our church that attend Cheney Face Center regularly lost their homes, and one family that is a, a, a relative of someone in our church lost their home, too. So we kind of have three families that are very closely related to people in our church that lost their homes. And so um, we set up a way for us to give to the people in the Malden and Pine City Fire So if you go to our website, those of you that are live, um, you can go to our website right now. Those of you that are in person, you can give in person if you'd like, or you can give online. If you'd like to give in person, you can give in the box in the back of the room if you'd like to give online. Uh, When you go to our website and you open the website, right there on the web page, there's a a button to click right away. And you can click that, and um, it'll take you right to the giving portal. And then you can click on the little arrow for the giving portal, and then it'll It'll give you the prompt for giving to the Malden and Pine City fire. And so um, I would just love for us to be generous in this way as a church to say, hey, this is a way we can help. And this is a way that we can love on our neighbors and show them that we care for them. And so um, sometime today or this week, would you just talk to the Lord about what you could give and what you could do to, to just be the hands and feet of Jesus? And uh, before we go, could we, could we just pray for those families? Jesus, um, we can't imagine what it would be like to, to just lose everything in a moment. And so we just want to lift those families before you right now that are struggling with, with the, the situation and that are struggling with the loss of their home. And Lord, we know that they're only things, and we're thankful that people got out and that people's lives are intact. But Lord, it's, it's hard to, to go on when you have nothing. And so, Lord, I want to pray that you would help them navigate all of the challenges that they have before them, uh, dealing with insurance and figuring out if they're going to rebuild in Malden or move somewhere else or what, what that city's going to do. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would bring wisdom to them. I pray that as they speak to you, that you would speak to them and you would bring them incredible clarity as they walk through this situation that's very, very difficult. Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, that weren't in the fire to pray for them every day and to find practical ways that we can help these families. And Lord, I pray that you would use this gift that we're going to give, that it would go far. It would meet the needs of these families. Some of them, uh, Lord, I can't even imagine, like it's such a cultural thing to just put food in the refrigerator and there's no refrigerator anymore. And so, Lord, I pray that the gifts that we would give would help them with food and with things that they need and new clothes and uh, whatever they need right now in the immediate to get them through next week and next month before uh, their homes start getting rebuilt or whatever happens. Lord, we give you thanks and praise that you've given us a lot. And I pray that we would give what we can to be of help and of service. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Amen. With thanks for giving, we wanted to just take some time to to, just to to help in the best way that we can. And so that's awesome. All right. Well, grab your Bible this morning and open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. That's our point of study this morning. And then um, also, hopefully you have the new journal. The new journals were available for you when you came in the door. And hopefully you have those and those are ready for you. Uh, I'm excited. This this series in 1 Corinthians has been great. I've been loving the journal. I've been loving studying through the book of 1 Corinthians, answering questions in my own life, dialoguing with God's scripture, letting God's word dig deep roots in me and change my thinking, change my heart, change my life. Well, 1 Corinthians 6 (laughs) is a big chapter, (laughs) and we're going to talk About a big topic today. We're gonna talk about sex. Now, you know, at Cheney Faith Center, we never shy away from talking about everything, anything, and we're gonna talk about sex. But um, right now, I'd like to talk to the parents. (laughs) So, first of all, those of you live watching and your parents and you have kids gathered around the TV right now and you're super excited to listen to Pastor Mark, I have a warning for you. (laughs) Today, is a PG-13 message. I will definitely be sharing adult content. Um, Now I believe that we should be talking about God's design for sex with our kids at a young age. This material will not be that type of talk. (laughs) This talk will be definitely an adult talk and um, adult material. So I'm not gonna beat around the bush and I'm not gonna beat around the bush, guess why? Because in this chapter, Paul doesn't beat around the bush. He is very frank. He is very truthful. And he is very honest about the, the way that God designed us to be sexually. And so we're going to talk about that in a very honest way. Parents, I wanted you to know that because you may want to say, hey, kids, let's play Monopoly. And, and we'll watch. And as an adult, you'll maybe turn on my message later. So um, just wanted you to know that so that uh, you don't have to deal with some conversations <laughs> with your kids later that you're like, what did Pastor Mark mean when he said? <laughs> so I want to just give that warning for you as parents right now. All right, let's jump in. Let me ask a couple questions as we start. Who taught you about sex? Where do you learn most of your information about sex? I want to talk and I'm going to share this question with us. And this is a big question throughout our conversation this morning and I believe it is a question that the apostle Paul is asking over and over and over again through the book of 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And this this would be a question that he is asking over and over again and it's this. Are you living for Jesus? or the culture are you living for Jesus or for the culture see here's reality every one of us every Christian in America and every Christian in every culture has to answer this question because every culture has their own views don't they they have their own views on life and sometimes those views line up with God's word and sometimes they don't. So we all have to answer that question. In fact, I've been asking myself an interesting question. I think maybe it's the Holy Spirit, uh, just what he's doing in me right now in the craziness of our world and our culture right now. And this is the question I've been asking myself. Am I a Christian that lives in America or am I an American that is a Christian. You may say, Pastor Mark, isn't that the same question? No, it's not. Because it depends on where I put my priority first. See, if I'm a Christian that lives in America, and by the way, I love America. You love America? I'm sure I'm glad I live here. But if I'm a Christian first, before I'm an American, my Christian viewpoint will lead my values and my priorities. If I'm an American first, then my American culture could possibly lead my vision and my values, and I could get a little bit off track as a Christian, couldn't I? So it's an important question. Now, this matters because it's super important for us to know what God's Word says and what God's Spirit is telling us on a daily basis about all topics in life so that we can live confident lives in Christ. And this is exactly why the Apostle Paul is giving us such a strong challenge in chapter 6. It's interesting that when you and I say yes to believing in Jesus and we embrace Him as our Lord and our Savior, he changes our life. The word says we become a new creation in Christ Jesus, but we also embrace a new community in Christ. We call the church, and there are there is God's design built into this new community, the church. And we've been talking about that the past several chapters, and Paul is going to address that specifically in chapter six. That there were two things happening in their community that were affecting the church in a huge way. And these two things were affecting the people inside the church, but they were also having a negative effect as their reputation as the people of God in the city of Corinth. These two things were suing one another in court and sex. Let me talk about the first one just very quickly. Apparently, there were brothers and sisters in the church that could not work out their disagreements, or maybe they didn't even try, and they just took one another to court. And they would stand as brother and sister in Christ before an unbelieving judge, someone who didn't know Christ, and say, we've got a disagreement, and we can't be in unity over it. And Paul says, stop it. Stop doing that. And here's why. Number one, because God is all wise. And the Holy Spirit has given us the gift of wisdom. So there is definitely the wisdom that you need within the body, within the church to help you decide any disagreements you might have between you and a brother or sister. Paul goes on. Even if for some reason you couldn't get it together... (laughs) To make a decision, you should choose to be cheated and wronged so that the reputation of Jesus Christ in the community does not look poorly because when you go to court and you sue one another, all it says about you is that you're greedy and you can't get along and you're not in unity and you don't love your brother or sister in Christ And Paul says, as that happens, it's ruining the reputation of Jesus Christ in the city. So look for someone with wisdom within the body. Take your disagreement together to them and make a decision through the power of the Holy Spirit. Or choose to be cheated so that Jesus' name can be exalted. That's what Paul talks about at the beginning of the chapter. Then the rest of the chapter Paul addresses the bigger issue of sexuality within the community of believers. And we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about sex and sexuality because this was a very important topic for the church in Corinth. It's become a huge topic in our world today in 2020. You'll remember way back when I did the introduction of the city of Corinth, I reminded us that In the Greco-Roman world, the city of Corinth was much like the Las Vegas of today. Very, very sexual city. Very, very promiscuous. And sex was everywhere in the culture. And Paul is addressing that in chapters 5 through chapters 7. I want to ask two questions today about sex and sexuality. I wish I could do 25 to 50, but we just don't have time. And you know that I'll even take my two questions and make it 45 minutes instead of 20. Here's my first question. And I want you to think about how you would answer this, and then we'll let God's word answer it for us too. Here's the first big question. What is defining your views about sex and sexuality? What is defining your views about sex And sexuality. Where do you get most of your content about sex? From God or our culture? Now, we know as people alive today, you can't escape it in the culture, but it doesn't have to define you. Paul is writing the Corinthian church because it's become obvious that they're letting the culture define their views on sex instead of God. As a result, sexual sin has become prevalent in the body of Christ. Now I'd like us to look and begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 9 through 11. We've already talked about these verses several times this morning, but I want to read it from the Passion translation. I love the way that this translation translated this section and so i want to talk about it in depth and get some perspective about sex and sexuality from this section now verse 9 it says surely you must know that people who practice evil cannot possess god's kingdom realm stop being deceived People who continue to engage. And I'm going to stop right there. I want to stop here because I want to point out something that I think is very important as we launch into this section. There's a couple phrases that Paul uses, and they are translated very well in the Passion. And and the way that the verbs are translated into English uh, are in aorist form. And what that means is, is it's a continual action that you choose to continue to do over and over and over again, and you don't stop. Now, here's the point. Paul uses two phrases, people who practice evil and people who continue to engage. Now, I point this out because I want this to be crystal clear. Paul is talking about people that are continuing in sin And saying, I don't care. I don't care that I'm sinning and I don't care that I'm doing something wrong. I'm going to continue in this behavior. This is not a person who made a mistake and said, Jesus, please forgive me. I made a mistake. I let my guard down. I was tempted and I made a mistake. Would you please forgive me? I repent of my sin And help me do better tomorrow. And Holy Spirit, would you lead me in the path of righteousness? And would you help me break through temptation and live a holy life? That is not the kind of person that Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about the person who is saying, I recognize I have sin in my life, and I'm just going to choose to do whatever I want. And I'm going to say that I'm a Christian. And did you notice what Paul said? Can't do that. Here's what's interesting. Paul's talking to a bunch of believers and this is what he says. If you continue to practice your sin, if you continue to engage in your sin and believe that you are going to inherit heaven, you're not. You're not. Because you've, you're not addressing the sin in your life and because you're not understanding the importance of the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, what were these people continually engaged in? The rest of the verse tells us what these things were. They were engaged in sexual immorality, idolatry, adultery, sexual perversion, homosexuality, fraud, greed, drunkenness, verbal abuse, or extortion. These will not inherit God's kingdom realm. It's true that some of you once lived in those lifestyles, but now you have been purified from sin, made holy, and given a perfect standing before God, all because of the power of the name of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, and through our union with the Spirit of our God. Good news. Now, these verses happen to be some of the most important verses possibly in all of 1 Corinthians. Now, here's what's interesting. When Paul showed up in the city of Corinth and he started to teach about the gospel of Jesus Christ, lots of people started to get saved. They embraced the life of Christ. They embraced the forgiveness of Christ. They said yes to Jesus. And and when they did... Their life before Christ, they were firmly entrenched in a Corinthian culture that had some ungodly views about sexuality. The Corinthian culture believed it was okay to engage regularly in the following sexual ways, and look at the ways that Paul lists. He puts the list here for us to understand. He says the people in Corinth regularly engage in sexual immorality. That's sex before you're married. In idolatry. Now, idolatry is interesting because everyone in Corinth would have understood what this idolatry meant and the connection it had with sex because the temple of Aphrodite was in Corinth. And the way that you worshiped the goddess of Aphrodite was you went to the temple and you slept with the temple prostitute and had sex with them. He said, adultery, sex with someone besides your spouse. Now, adultery was interesting in the Greco-Roman world. Adultery was frowned upon if you had sex with someone else's spouse. But if you had sex with the temple prostitute, or if you had sex with your slave, wasn't frowned upon. It was perfectly fine as a married person. Then Paul says, sexual perversion." And this, unfortunately, is having sex with a minor. And in the Greco-Roman world, sexual perversion was accepted. And then lastly, homosexuality. Men having sex with men and women with women. Now before we go on, I'd, I'd like to point out that as we move forward in the American church, let's look at our culture compared to the Corinthian culture because we might be living in a glass house. In the American culture, do we say that sex before marriage is okay? Yes, we do. Do we have a temple of Aphrodite in our culture? Yeah, it's called pornography. And you can go to that temple anytime you want during the day and you can have sex in your mind and in your emotions and in your spirit. I believe that sex is a god in our culture. And if you don't bow to that god of sex, you're made fun of, you're excluded, you're viewed as some sort of odd duck. And if you're a TV show without sex, you're not gonna be on very long, are you? Sex outside of marriage is tolerated. I wouldn't say that most people say it's okay, but it's tolerated. When somebody is unfaithful outside of marriage, what I'm hearing regularly now is, you know what, it's going to happen a couple times in your marriage, you just need to learn how to deal with it and make it through. And you might say, well, Pastor Mark, sexual perversion, I mean, sex with a minor, that's against the law in our culture. I agree, it is, but not online. Did you know that right now pornography is a multi-billion dollar industry? And one of the ways that the sex online is seen on the screen is through sexual slavery. In fact, the largest form of slavery today on our planet is sexual slavery. Young women, young boys being stolen out of their family and out of their communities and then forced to do sexually perverse and illicit things online for people to pay for They say, well, Pastor Mark, we don't agree with that in our culture. Yeah, but we haven't stopped it. We haven't stopped it. In fact, we keep hearing things like, well, that's my Second Amendment right. Or it's not my Second Amendment right, but um, we should do something else about the Second Amendment with this. Never mind. I went too far. (laughs) It's my Amendment right to freedom of press or whatever. I don't think George Washington meant have a sex slave and put her online. I don't think that's what he meant. I don't think that's what Benjamin Franklin was thinking. I don't think that's what the founding fathers were signing into order, that we should have sex slaves from around the world and we should throw them on screens and make them do illicit things. I'm pretty sure that's not what the founding fathers were thinking. But this is where our world is at. LGBTQ community is accepted and embraced by all. And if you don't agree with it, there will be consequences. This is our culture and what our world believes about sex. And Paul challenges the believers in Corinth, and he challenges us today, are you living for Jesus or the culture? Because God created sex. This is his idea. It's his design And he created sex for specific reasons and purposes. And God's perfect design is for a lifelong enjoyment of sex in the bond of marriage with someone that will never leave you or forsake you. That's God's design. His design is simple. Sex is one of the greatest gifts he's given to one another. This is why the gift of virginity is so important in Scripture and is meant to be given away only to the one you marry so that on your wedding night, you can give a gift to your spouse that no one else has ever been given or will be given. You can give yourself totally and freely and all of you to that person in love and enjoyment. Sex is designed to be fully enjoyed within the relationship of marriage. See, so Pastor Mark, are you sure? Yes. Have you read Song of Solomon? It will make you blush at times. As the spouses in that book are saying, let's go enjoy one another. That's what God designed. And actually, we're going to talk about that. Paul's going to talk about it in chapter 7. But pornography brings someone else into my sex life. Into my thoughts. Adultery ruins that covenant relationship that we've had. Another thing that we see in God's design for sex is fairly simple, and that is that God created us male and female. Another very important reason that God created sex for us is for procreation. In fact, the first commandment in the entire Bible is what? Have sex Say, is that true, Pastor Mark? Yep. Go look it up. Genesis chapter 1, the first thing God said was what? Be fruitful and multiply. It is the first command in Scripture. Go have sex with your wife. And Adam said, amen. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Anything outside of God's male and female design will only hurt ourselves. Now, I'm going to digress just for a moment and make a quick uh, claim we have two ways in our culture that we believe life exists and how we got here creation and evolution and i'm going to declare to you this morning that both require only male and female relationships and we can study about this in scripture we know it's true from god's word But you may say, how is that true as an evolutionist? Well, follow me for a second. There is one thing that is an absolute requirement for the science of evolution to continue. You know what it is? Reproduction. Without reproduction, evolution stops. You cannot continue to adapt. You cannot continue to evolve. Every species cannot continue to change over time. Not that I believe that, but it stops. It literally cannot happen. It is a scientific impossibility for evolution to continue outside of male and female reproduction. So whether I believe creation or evolution, I must believe one thing, male and female reproduction. leads us to an interesting quandary. As we look at God's design for sex, we also have to ask ourselves, are we living for Jesus or our culture? Let me finish with a closer look into verse 11. Because verse 11 is incredibly important. We read it from... The Passion Translation, so you heard it there. I'm going to read it from the NIV version now. The NIV says in verse 11, And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Just a quick side note, I don't know if you noticed in verse 11, did you notice the Trinity? The Trinity at work, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all working in tandem, in perfect relationship to make us holy. To make us in right standing with God, that's how important this is. Now, I believe that verse 11 is incredibly important in light of the context Because in the context, Paul is talking about the sin that we can often let into our lives or that we can see in the world around us and that people might not inherit the kingdom of God. But here's what's important about verse 11. Paul says, don't forget that that's what some of you were. Now, why is that important to not forget that I'm a sinner? Right? Why is that important? Because if we forget that, then we will become judgmental. If we forget that, we will become a Pharisee. If we forget that, then we will forget that our neighbor needs Jesus, that our coworker needs Jesus, and that we have to remember, I remember being in that place where I needed Jesus to rescue me. Why do we need that in our mind all the time? Because that's our mission today. Our mission is to go into the world and to rescue people in Jesus' name. And we can't forget that we were once there before. But now we are washed. We are holy. And we are made right with God. It's just as if we never sinned. And Jesus did that. And we want him to do that for others. And so verse 11 is very important. Very important that you and I understand the amazing miracle that we wake up in every single day in the purification and the righteousness and the amazing grace of Christ. This is our life. So our first big question was, what is defining your views about sex and sexuality? The second question is this. What is my body designed for? What is my body designed for? This is a big question. I think it's a big question because body image is huge today. Have you noticed that? Body image is huge in our culture. And in regards to sex, our culture has all kinds of ideas about our body. We say things like, do whatever you want with your body. As long as you're not hurting anyone else, go for it. Recently, I was sent an email, and in this email, it was from a Christian ministry, they sent an email with a TED Talk attached to it that was from a TED Talk in Europe and uh, about how Europe is beginning to frame their thinking about sex and sexuality and they wanted people to look at it so that, because it's probably going to gravitate its way towards America. And they wanted us to know the latest ideas about body. And here's one of the latest ideas about body that's taking shape in Europe. And it's this, that we are really, all of us as humans, we're really just higher forms of animals in the evolutionary chain. So sex is really just some sort of animalistic evolutionary moment. And so you can choose to have as many partners as you like. You're just acting like an animal would. And, and that's all that sex is. It's just this animalistic type of feeling that you, that you have, and you should follow your feeling. I think we all know that sex is not just physical, is it? It's emotional, it's psychological, it's spiritual. It's all of it rolled up into one. Some of us say, my body is designed to attract someone to have sex with me. And you'll know it by the way I dress. My body, my choice. These are the things we say about our body today. But what does God say about our body? What does he think about the body that he created and that he gave us? Well, look at a couple verses with me. Look at verse 13. I'm going to Jump into it right in the middle of the verse where it says, The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. So our body is designed for the Lord. Jump down to verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, Paul makes it very clear in these two sections, in these two verses, that our body is first of all meant for the Lord. That this body is meant to house the spirit of the Lord. That is our first and primary thing. And by the way, that's why no matter what we do in this world, If we have not found Christ, there's always an emptiness. Why? Because the Spirit's not in there. And my body is designed. Isn't it interesting that we can put all kinds of things in our body to bring us pleasure? All kinds of things in our body to try to get us to fill the one thing that's not there, the Holy Spirit. Our body is designed to house the Holy Spirit. Now, say, Pastor Mark, how does that relate to sex? Simple. Sex is about intimacy. Sex is about intimacy. Intimacy with God and intimacy with your spouse. This is God's design. He presents this as well in verses 17 and 18. Look at verse 17 where God says, But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. That's spiritual intimacy. Intimacy with God through the power of the Holy Spirit, there's intimacy. But the very next verse, Paul says this, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Did you notice how Paul connects the intimacy? Intimacy with God and intimacy with your spouse is God's design. Anything outside of that will affect your intimacy with God and your intimacy with your spouse. Now it's interesting that Paul says something pretty astounding. He says that sexual sin is not like any other sin. Because the other sins happen outside your body. When you lie to someone, it's outside your body. When you steal from someone, it's outside your body. When you verbally abuse someone, it's outside your body. When you're greedy, it's outside your body. But sex is an intimate act that happens inside your body. So it affects you, and it affects God, and you, and you, and your spouse. And so Paul says this is really important to understand that sex is about intimacy, and that intimacy is ruined when we enter into sexual immorality. See, the world has communicated that there's no boundaries for sex. The world's communicated that you can do whatever you want with your body. But we know that that's not true. We know that we are connected in so many ways. Body, soul, mind, and spirit. We can't just disconnect one from the other. They're all connected in this beautiful creation we call humanity. Andy Stanley, in his book, Love, Sex, and Dating, says, when we ignore God's relational purpose for sex, when we rip sex out of its divinely designed relational context, we hurt ourselves. Even if there are no physical consequences, we hurt ourselves. When you sin sexually, you literally sin against your true self. I'd like to close with a story of a woman named Stephanie. I read about Stephanie in a book titled Sex and Dating by Mindy Muir. Mindy's a counselor and Stephanie was one of her clients and she relays this story of Stephanie in her book. Mindy said, I met weekly with Stephanie who was in the habit of hooking up with men in bars. I asked her to share with me what she was thinking and feeling during those hookups. Stephanie said, some guy comes up to me at a bar and wants to buy me a drink. He wants to put his arm around me and kiss me. And I think, wow, wow. Out of all the girls in this bar, he chose me. It makes me feel special and pursued. And then when we go back to his place or mine, for just a moment, I feel truly loved. Stephanie knew these guys would never call her back. They'd never pursue her again but she was fine with that because the intoxicating feeling of being chosen and pursued and loved even for a fleeting moment was addictive. Later, Mindy asked Stephanie this question. What if a man pursued you and loved you for a lifetime? What if he was faithful to you And wanted to get to know the real you. Would you want to be married and have sex with someone like that? And Stephanie said, sure. But I'd also like to win the lottery. Stephanie's comment at the end is an interesting look into our culture. Stephanie would say this. It's nearly impossible for me to find a man that will treat me appropriately. That's a sad commentary on our culture, isn't it? That's why it's so important for us as men of God to treat our wives appropriately and treat the woman that you might marry appropriately. It's also why as men in the church, I feel like we should protect the women in our church, especially the single women in our church. Now, here's what else is interesting. What Stephanie was really longing for was a real, authentic relationship. What she really wanted was someone to pursue her and love her for a lifetime. What she really wanted was someone to be faithful to her. What she really wanted was somebody to get to know the real her. And here's what's interesting that's God's design. That's what God intended. We've just moved away from it. As we've thrown God out of our culture, we've thrown out everything that is good and right about relationships. And now it's up to us in the Christian community to model what a good and right relationship looks like for the world around us. Now, the other thing that I think is interesting that Stephanie says is, that when you obey the Lord, it's like winning the lottery. When you're faithful to your spouse, it's like winning the lottery. When you say no to pornography, it's like winning the lottery. When you say, you know what, I'm gonna save sex till I'm married, it's like winning the lottery. When we obey the Lord, it's like winning the lottery, and that, that person in your life feels the same way Because they feel so special. See, what we do with our body and what we believe our body is designed for is extremely important. Now, Paul's concern in chapter 6 is this his concern is that as believers, the grace of Jesus Christ has impacted our lives. And this grace that has impacted our lives is meant to be revealed and given away to the world around us. It shows the world that we are different, that we are holy, that we are set apart. It shows the world that the work of Jesus Christ is being done and being completed in us, that we recognize We are being set free from our sin, that we are living a holy life, that we are purifying ourselves and that that God sees us totally different today because of what Jesus has done. That's God's heart for us. That's Paul's heart for the church. And that's why he warns us so strongly in truth and in love because he knows if we continue to live like the culture, the world won't see Jesus. They'll only see more of the culture. I think most of us this morning still have to wrestle with that question that we asked at the beginning. Am I living for Jesus or the culture? I'd like to take a moment and just apply this to our life and just, just pause. Because this is such a big issue and it's everywhere around us, it, it touches us on a daily basis. I, I grew up in, in Las Vegas. And I remember as a 16-year-old boy learning to drive, even on the taxicabs everywhere, there's sexual content. So like, you're told, right, look left for a car that is, might be coming. Okay, I look left. Oh, illicit sexual content. Oh, I better look right. Oh, illicit sexual content. Crud. What do I do? Get in a car accident? It's everywhere, isn't it? This is the culture that we live in. But it's up to us to let the Holy Spirit empower us. To teach us to guide our eyes and our thoughts and our hearts and our minds, to know where those things are in our culture that we can avoid to live a holy life. Would you pray with me this morning? I'm going to ask us to just bow our heads and our hearts and just respond to the Lord because I believe this is a very, very big deal. Statistics tell us that in the church, many of us struggle with sexual sin as much as the world. And upon hearing the things that God's word has declared, I'm hoping as a believer right now, you're saying, I need to work on some things. I need to start living for Jesus, not the culture. I need to start following God's design for my sex life, not the world's. And I want you to know today, right now, that if you've been living in sexual sin, Jesus is ready, he's here. He wants to heal you. He wants to wash you. He wants to purify you. He wants to make you in right standing with God once again. And so I want to encourage you. Because this is such a personal thing, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand so that people can see you. You know where your life is at. And you know if this is something in your life that is not right. And so I'm just going to challenge you this morning to make it right with Jesus. I'm gonna challenge you sometime today or during this week to have a serious conversation with Jesus. Ask Jesus to forgive you. Ask him to remove that sin from your life. Confess it openly and freely to him. And then ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to live a holy life moving forward. Jesus, we thank you so much for the cross. We recognize that we get to live in the amazing grace of Jesus and we get to live in God's perfect design for our sex life because of the cross. Because you pursued us, you chose us and you went to the cross and died for us so that we could be forgiven and set free. Thank you, Jesus, so much. And thank you for rising on the third day so that we might have eternal life. We give you thanks and praise. Lord, help us all in the body of Christ to live in such a way that the name of Jesus would be glorified in our city and in our world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.